Hey, thank you for listening to the Happy Days Project. Each episode will bring you a snippet of someone else's joy. Isn't joy a nice thing to be choosing to listen to? This excellent human has answered the question, what makes you happy? Let's hear what they had to say. Well, first of all, I'm not being difficult for the sake of it, but uh, nothing makes me happy. (gasps) Great. Because I am a happy person. So I don't think of happiness as being something that happens to me. And I know that's a little unusual because I see everyone else desperately trying to set up situations that they think will make them happy, often don't, because it's fairly elusive happiness. I mean, it's it's your default setting. Some people are sanguine by nature, and obviously those people occasionally are unhappy, are stressed, are anxious, are worried, are fearful. But even in all of those things, they're still essentially happy. And other people, however successful or joyous their life is, are fundamentally unhappy. Hmm. If you go back to the, the Greeks, which is always a good thing to do, hmm. you get this famous Greek physician, Galen, who talks about humans being made up of four liquids. So blood, bile, okay. and two kinds of bile, green bile and black bile, and then phlegm, and he characterised human nature, human characters into those four characters. And although all of that is nonsense, and the notion that has lingered on is this idea that your early experiences predispose you to resilience. It's a truism now in psychology, it might be overturned in years to come, that if those first three years are good, and they're relatively untroubled, and the baby has a continuous care from some loving individual who is not themselves ill or stressed or depressed, that sets you up. And so when things happen in life, as they inevitably will, you're resilient and bounce back. Whereas if that is missing for some reason, and it's not determined by wealth, You know, you can be happy in the cottage with the widow because you're everything she's got and she looks into your eyes when you're born and holds your stare and you learn to look into hers and you go from there. But, you know, you need a certain material level of, obviously, children of pride, undernourished and so on. That's no good. So I I think of happiness as, as something that I got from my mother and... As I say, I'm fed up sometimes, I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I'm concerned, worried, blah, blah, blah. But so far in my considerable number of years, I'm, you know, I have to admit that I'm essentially happy. I've I've been unhappy, obviously, when Cathy died, you know, that that nothing is, that's still there, that's still in my life. But... You know, whereas another person might have gone into a terminal depression, it would unlock the pain. So I'm slightly phlegmatic in the, in the Galen sense. Well, you know, what will be will be. 
so I'm not starry-eyed, so I tend not to be disappointed. But basically, my default setting is half full. That's great. I feel like you should be able to take some responsibility for that attitude yourself, some pride in it, some pride in having cultivated it. I appreciate, you know, you've, you've acknowledged a nature and a nurture conversation. It was three years being integral, and that's to do with nurture. And then perhaps some people being a certain way versus others being a certain different way. But I'm sure that you have had some part to play in maintaining your own level of sanguinity. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I would, I would disagree. I mean, obviously, I was lucky to have more than three years. I had all of the time of, of my mother's life, and she died when I was a mature adult. And we had a very good relationship all the way through my life. We amused each other. We, As well as being friendly and, and familial and all the rest of it, I clearly reminded her of her own family of origin. And she had no sisters, but six brothers. And she was very close to her parents, particularly her father. As people in pre-industrial societies, you know, she was really. She grew up in the 1920s and 30s in Ireland which to all intents and purposes hadn't changed that much from the 19th century. I remember when I was studying um, anthropology, you learn about the family of origin and matrilocal, patrilocal and oxylocal and the importance of maternal uncles in child-rearing in pre-industrial societies. And whereas it was a mystery to my contemporaries, to me it wasn't, because I thought, well, this is Ireland in the 1950s, and this is my mother. So, no, it's not. I mean, unfortunately, it's not. I mean, obviously... If I were not a happy person, then I would take credit for the fact that despite that, I'd survived. But I really don't think I can take any credit. You know, the people who struggle with chronic low-level depression or anxiety, that's where the courage and the determination... I'm sort of deeply annoying, really. I mean, people do, do resent it to some extent, you know. If you're a moaner, you'll always have friends. If you're happy, people are often envious. Oh, interesting. I see. I mean, you'll always have something to say if you're a moaner, I guess. But I don't know that I really like spending time with people who complain all the time. Well, I know, but unfortunately a lot of people like them in the sense... I mean, you feel superior. It's that sure Schadenfreude, you know. Yeah. Oh dear, it must be awful. But there's an element of not me or serves you right. Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm afraid we're very judgmental species. It's a sort of, oh, thank goodness it isn't me, you know. Mm-hmm. And I know you, so it happened to you, it won't happen to me. People don't like moaners. But if you say, well, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I thought the hotel was great. Food was all right. End of conversation. Right, yes. No. <laughs> yes, that's true. Oh, my God, you should have seen the bed. It must have been made by somebody who had never been in a bed, you know. I mean, it's the stuff of holiday stories, isn't it? Yes, that's true. Yes, you can't really come back. So how was it? Oh, it was lovely. Yeah. True. Okay, well, and feel free to tell me to mind my own business, but... You have two children. Yes. Are they happy? Ah, oh, that's a very good question, Lizzie. No, you don't need to mount your business. Are they happy? Well, in the sense that I'm using the word, I think they are. 
Yes, I think they are. Because they both benefited from a similar total kind of immersion in love and attention and focus in their early years. And, and indeed, it, it, it's, it's a legend, isn't it? People still tell stories about Kathy getting up and leaving somebody's house after play school or something, say, because Faye wanted to go home or Joe didn't want to be there. And everyone would look at her and say, what? Yeah, I'm going home, you know. Or Sherry, at her funeral, Kathy wouldn't leave the, the, the school, you know, her, she stayed all the time. And I remember she came home to me one day and she said, you know, the children always crying when the mums leave. And they will say, oh, as soon as you go, he stops crying. She said, it's alive. <laughs> Some of them cry all morning. <laughs> you know, so they had that. Now, that doesn't mean to say, I think they probably rear up at the idea that they're happy because certainly things go wrong in their lives. There's many frustrations. And of course, when you're young, as, as I did, you know, if you're a child and you become enormously upset, tears and so on and so forth. But it's underlined, in a way, the fact that they survived, in inverted commas, you know, the death of their mother and that they're functioning and went on. Again, it's there all the time. It's in them. It's never going to go away. It's because they had that pot of gold, as the psychologists call it. They had that early years of utter, you know, devotion in a way. When, when Kathy was pregnant with Joe, we went for our first antenatal clinic at the hospital. Two things um, stick out about it that I think are remarkable. I mean, it's only 33 years ago that, you know, we wanted me, and Kathy wanted me, to come in with her when she saw the consultant. Right. So we went up to the hospital, and you get processed, you get scanned, you get blood pressure measured. And at every twist and turn, Kathy said to the nurse, I want my husband to come in. And they said, oh no, you can't, because you're the doctor's patient, and he will only see you. The husband's not a patient. Now, this is show you how things have changed in a mere 30 years. This is in Guildford, not in some remote part of the United Kingdom. Right. So we protested, but we waited there. And then the nurses, she said, well, you go in and see the doctor on your own and ask if he can come in. So she went in, asked. He just ignored her. So she stood up and he said, where are you going? He said... Well, you've ignored me. I, I, I won't see you unless my husband is here. And she left. She came out, so a mere few minutes after going in. We were heading for the door, which was some distance away, <laughs> and all hell broke loose. And a nurse came running after us and literally barred the door and said, we'll get somebody to see you, we'll get somebody to see you. Sit down, sit down. And another doctor was prepared to see us together. And he did so with very bad grace, but he was prepared. But the original doctor wouldn't. He wouldn't bend the knee. Wow. So that's interesting. Nothing to do with happiness, but it's an interesting example of how things have checked. Now, if the partner isn't going to the antenatal clinic, it would be recorded. This young woman attended on her own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? It's expected. Um, so how things have changed. Yes, that's um, crazy. But the other thing was, while we were hanging around, we picked up this leaflet 
which was like your new baby and what to do and so on and so forth. But what broke my heart, and it still does break my heart to think of it, there was this thing that said, you can't spoil a baby. Spoil. Spoil a baby. And I think even today, that notion is still about that we have to tell young women in Britain, don't worry, you can't spoil a baby. Because for some reason, certainly in the past in this country, and I fear also to some extent now, we, we are more worried about somehow we're going to turn our children into brats mm-hmm. than the, the risk that if we don't love babies to bits, as we are designed to do, that that is where the jeopardy lies. Right. And so people are still told to leave a colicky baby to cry. Right. I don't believe anywhere in the pre-industrial world people would do such a thing. Okay. It is not a natural thing to do, insofar as anything is natural for us. Kathy, for example, had no younger siblings. She had probably only held a baby a dozen times in her entire life prior to giving birth. I had two younger siblings, and then I had nephews and nieces and friends I babysat for. I knew exactly what to do with babies mm. when I was a boy. Right, right. And that's how most people have lived for most of human history. Yeah, And point. In a large family, there's always something to look after the baby. And so however poor those people may be, they're often remarkably happy. Mm. And, and the way we dealt with that in the past is that we saw that kind of happiness the happiness of the poor person in the colonial country as a form of Mm feeble-mindedness, a sort of vacuity. They were empty because it it obviously made people who'd been at boarding school since they were six and had been breastfed by a stranger and whose mother didn't have any relationship with them. And they grew up being not happy people, utterly locked inside themselves. It obviously unnerved them that these people that they knew were inferior to them and that they were superior to seemed much happier than they were. And so what do you do in that circumstance? You relabel it as a feeble-minded simplicity, vacuity. And so it was. It feels like you're talking about community. Well, on the one hand, you're talking about community and on the other hand, you're talking about systems of power and there's a lot in modern society that, as you say, people who want to retain power reframe things, feelings, happiness, to keep them higher status. Well, I mean, it goes back to the Reformation and Puritanism. You know, and the Puritans were down on joy, dancing, drinking, laughing, any show of emotion, so much so that, you know, I can remember if people weeped at funerals, again, that was seen to be embarrassing back Mm -hmm. in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. When we saw people from the West Indies who came here who made a big song and dance at funerals, people thought it was shocking. They didn't think they're natural. They thought it was shocking. We were all shocked when Princess Diana died and the country wept, you know, and the Queen didn't. 
And so she, yeah. her crown was rocked. Obviously, it is part of politics, but it's mainly, it's about control. I mean, we're all anxious. And one way of dealing with your nerves is to try and control your environment. Absolutely. And a big part of your environment are other people. Yeah. And, and they are a threat to you because they will let you down. And so you need to control them. And instead of just saying, I'm going to control you, say, it's God's will. And you see it, you know, in various religions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it in America. I mean, America is interesting because, of course, it's probably one of the, the least happy places in the world. Yeah, and yet, written into their founding myth is life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that goes back to the 18th century when people were happy if they got fed once a day. And yet that's been perverted in a way, going back to your original question, is what makes you happy? So it becomes a big stake beer in the fridge, a car, a washing machine, a television, and apparently 70% of Americans in a recent survey said that they were part of the top 20% in in America. So logically they can't, can they? (laughs) No. The man who did the research said what's going on here is that compared with their parents and grandparents, they take washing machines, televisions, mobile phones, cars for granted. And they can have them because they're cheap and cheerful. But of course, they have a crap education system, yeah. a crap health system, and one foot out of line, and they could be locked up for the rest of their lives. Obviously, if they're black, they're, they're in a real bad situation, you know. But even for the, the poor white, the things that really matter, that really are fundamental to happiness, like physical health, mm-hmm. one of the many ways in which my happiness has been maintained is that I've been lucky with my genes. And I don't have a chronic disease. Yeah. And education means you have the insight into your life and into what you're doing and what other people are doing. And whilst that doesn't solve all the problems, it's better than, than not knowing what the hell's going on. Oh, massively. I hugely think that. I hugely think understanding contributes to my happiness. So I think the pursuit of happiness is a, a mirage. And, and, and it does piss people off my children in particular because <laughs> I'm not a great one for um, celebrations my parents partied every moment they got a chance every day of every week so when it came to birthday parties or Christmases they didn't really make a big deal of we do nothing for a year and then we'll have some sherry right and go mad for one day yes that wasn't how they lived but in the 50s in Wallington in Surrey, they were considered as exotic as the West Indians were then considered later on in Croydon when they came and had the temerity to paint their doors red. They couldn't have been more outraged. You know, they, paint, they painted the front door red. red. And they, they couldn't conceive of why anyone wouldn't want to paint it either black or dark green, like every other house. So we were exotic people. But we were at least white and we were not that foreign, even though actually the West Indians were much more closer to them because they were Anglican mm-hmm. and they were loved Britain and the Queen and all that sort of thing. We were rebel Irish family, you know, but they, they still, the neighbours preferred us. 
and we brought a little bit of excitement into their lives. They felt rather risque coming to our house and somebody singing a song and people filling their glass up all the time. So I grew up in this world where every day should be a celebration. Right. So it means I'm a bit low-key when it comes to birthdays, Christmas, and, you know, I have to learn to... Oh, yes. Yeah, no, that's good. This is special. Yes, yeah. absolutely it is. Yeah, my children have... They've got me, and then they've got the kind of make a big deal of the feast. So they make a big deal of all the Christmases and birthdays, and they make a big deal of every day. So it's rather unremitting. So whereas with, with my family and me, well, you know, there must be something good in today. Again, because of the default setting, I'm very easily pleased, you know. I'm not good at holidays, you see. That's another thing that, that um. rightly gets the children upset. I like going on holiday, but it's all, it's trouble. It's a break of routine. I'm going to have to do all the heavy lifting. And I know it's all going to go wrong. And, you know, but, and you get there, you, the mosquitoes and the sunburn and the, the shower that doesn't really work very well. I remember my dad used to say that the best meal he had was the, the one he had on the morning after he came back from holiday. <laughs> <laughs> the breakfast, the best breakfast he had, you know. But I have to say, life on holiday wasn't so great in the 1950s. But... Sure. So, yeah, there you are. So, no, nothing makes me happy. I was lucky that I was made happy and... Lots of things make me unhappy or I worry about things and the news and the world. But, you know, I do what I can in my own way to uh, ignore it. No, no to try and, <laughs> try and ameliorate where I can. But, uh... Absolutely. Thank you, Phelan. Keen-eared among you have heard Phelan's name mentioned in another episode. Can you tell me which one? Let me know at happydaysprojectpodcast at gmail.com. Also let me know if you'd like to be on the Happy Days Project podcast. I'd love a chat. Happy Monday. Hope you're enjoying what makes you happy. See you next time.